So we're reading this evening from First uh, John, it's page one two two seven in the Church Bible. Uh, page one two two seven, First John chapter four. This is John, as in James and John, uh, one of the four fishermen, and he's writing. Uh, to the churches. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth. And the spirit of falsehood. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. We know that we live in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God. God lives in him, and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in him. In this way love is made complete among us, that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Because in this world, We are like him. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. 
Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Amen. This evening we're turning to First John and chapter 4, uh, page 100, <coughs> sorry, 1227 <coughs> in the Church Bible. And tonight we want to look together at verse uh, 14, where John writes, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. This statement comes from the pen of John. In the midst of a larger setting. And against a particular background. In the church to which he was writing. And that background is mentioned in chapter 4 and verse 1. Dear friends do not believe every spread. But test the spreads. To see whether they are come from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. The church in John's day had been going for less than half a century by this stage. The church then faced issues similar to what we face in our day and in every age. Where there is truth, where the word of God is sown, what happens? The evil one comes and he sows tares. Is that not what Jesus said in the parable of the kingdom? The seed that was sown was good seed. But then overnight the evil one came and sowed tares also alongside. Sowed untruth, sowed lies, sowed things that are false. And how does he do that? Well, he does that in exactly the same way as God sows the truth. God sows the truth through his Son and through his saved people. The devil sows error through his servants, those uh, who uh, are his instruments. And that was a particular issue in John's day. And it is still an issue in our day. There are false prophets. There is false teaching. And there will be, there will be until Christ comes again. 
And this letter written by John was probably written in the 80s, late 80s, or early 90s. He doesn't state or name his audience. But tradition has it that this letter was addressed to the churches of Asia Minor. Those churches that had been founded by the Apostle Paul during his first missionary journey. Churches that are now being troubled by false teachers. By this stage, Paul is almost certainly dead. And so the Apostle to those churches, the one who was responsible for those churches coming into existence under God, he's no longer there. And John rises to the challenge. And what is John's answer to these false teachers? These people who claimed that they have the true knowledge of God uh, and uh, of spirituality. They claimed a knowledge that surpassed the apostles. Well, John writes this letter, and in the midst of it, he writes this verse. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent a Son to be the Saviour of the world. John declares that he and his fellow apostles are witnesses to the true gospel. Witnesses to the true gospel. And that's what we want to think about this evening. How these men are witnesses to the true gospel. And how you and I are called today. And we are to be witnesses to the true gospel. And how we can know with certainty and assurance what the true gospel is. And stand four square with confidence on that gospel. There's two points we want to note this evening. First of all, let's think about the reliability. Their reliability. That's the reliability of these witnesses to the true gospel. Their reliability. We're all familiar with the role of the witness. And the importance of a witness being reliable. Otherwise the judgment that is made. As we often hear in our news from, uh, about cases. It can be unsafe and unsound. And that's because the testimony that has been given in the court of law, it was unsafe and it was unreliable and unsound. Now if you're a witness to a robbery, then what does that mean? Well, it means you have seen. You cannot be a witness if you have not seen the robbery take place. We're all familiar with that, or aware of that terrible stabbing that happened ten days ago, just down the road from us. And thankfully, in God's goodness, that man is making a good recovery. But 
somebody living close by had seen the man just a short time beforehand. And uh, when all the commotion started uh, on the Saturday evening, this person went out of their home. The police were there and they said to the police, what's happening? And they said, oh, someone has been stabbed. And this person said, it wouldn't happen to be, and she named the person. And they said, yes, it is actually that person. Why do you say that? She said, I saw them going down past my window ten minutes ago. Before she realised it, she was a key witness. Next morning, CID were there on her doorstep, taking a statement. What was the precise time? Uh, where was he going? And uh, did, anything, did he seem to be agitated or anything? Because you see, he ha- she had seen that man a short time before this almost fatal starving had taken place. And so a witness has to see things. You're able to provide a description to the police of the persons involved, of the things they did during the course of whatever the crime was. And more than that, as a witness, you not only have seen things, but you're willing to take your stand in a court of law for those things. You're willing to give evidence. You're willing to stand before, as it were, the world and the judge and you're able, willing to set out what you've seen so that he can conclude that here are in fact the ones or the one who has done this crime or this act of violence. That's the role of the witness. To see and to testify. And you see as John encounters these false teachers that are around to a penny in the church in the 80s and the 90s, and that are troubling the church, Paul says to the church members, hold on, folks, hold on. Before you get swept away with the claims of these people and the boasts of these people and what they say they can do and what they can say they have experienced, And how this is where God truly is. And he's not with you in your little church. No, he's over here with us. John says, We have seen and testify. What's he saying? We are witnesses. And we are reliable witnesses. We have seen Jesus of Nazareth. We spent three years in his company. Fifty, sixty years ago. We heard his preaching. We watched his miracles. We saw the hungry being fed. The dead being raised. The sick being healed. We saw the storm being calmed. We saw the demon possessed being freed. We saw him dying on the cross. We saw him risen from the dead. And he met with us over a period of 40 days. 
And he said to us, look at the marks on my hands. And he said to us, if we still doubt it, put your hand into the wound on my side. We saw. We saw. And we testify about Jesus. We testify to the true um, faith and the true gospel. And Jesus in his life and death and resurrection, John says, he turned our lives upside down and inside out. John has walked away from his father's fishing business. Walked away and left everything materially behind him to be a disciple of Jesus. And for the past 50-60 years, he has devoted his life to bearing testimony to Jesus. And John is ready to die for Jesus. Sooner than stop speaking about him. See, that's the test of reliability, isn't it? And John is not a solitary witness. Look at what he says. We have seen. It's not I have seen. You should always be suspicious of the person who comes to you and the focus of their experience is I, I, I. John is able to say we have seen and testified. He was one of twelve men from a wide variety of backgrounds that Jesus chose to be his disciples. And with the exception of Judas, they all testify, they all bore witness to Jesus. Their reliability. The false prophets are still in the world today. And they're still troubling the Christian church today. And they would still look at little congregations like ours here this evening. And they would say, that's not where Jesus is. That's not where the truth is. And they would try to rubbish uh, what we're doing here this evening. Sitting, listening to the word of God written down 2,000 years ago in the New Testament and 1,600 years before that in the Old Testament. They would poo-poo that idea. Say, no, you don't need that. You need a living word from the living God today. You need messages. You need revelations. And we say, we have seen, these men saw, these men testified, these men were with Jesus, these men said, this is God's revelation, we stand on this revelation, whatever you might claim for yourself, because we believe this is truth. The reality is today too 
And tonight too, before the world, we don't need to be ashamed. We don't need to be mealy-mouthed about the gospel. We don't need to be alarmed by some American academic who has found a little fragment of paper which says, I give some suggestion, doesn't even say it, but you could read into it if you wanted to, that Jesus had a wife. Hold on. Hold on. What do we believe? Who do we believe? In a court of law, who would be believed? Those who were there, those who saw him in the flesh, those who wrote down at that time the things they saw and they experienced, are somebody who finds a little fragment of paper. And they've got an imagination. And they've got an idea of religion and of the Christian faith that they want to stamp upon the church. And so they come up with their elaborate theory. We have seen and testify, these apostles say. Nobody can even tell us precisely where this piece of paper came from. Nobody bears testimony to having been there. Nobody's name's attached to it. How ridiculous. And yet our televisions and Uh, The newspapers were full of it at the end of last week. This great revelation. What nonsense. False prophets have gone out into the world. And men gullible. And men deceived by the devil. Follow it. Their reliability. But then let's notice secondly this evening. Their testimony. Witness to the gospel. These men are reliable. And these men bear testimony. Look at what they say in verse 14. We have seen and we bear testimony and testify. The Father has sent his Son to be the Saviour of the world. You see, what do these men hear with their ears As they listened to Jesus of Nazareth day after day. As they listened to him. As we would say Monday through Saturday. As he went about his public ministry. Out in the public places. And as he preached to the crowds. And then as they heard him uh, on the Sunday. On the Jewish Sabbath in the synagogue. What did they hear? And what did they testify concerning Jesus? The Father has sent his Son as Saviour of the world. You see these men when they started out with Jesus. They had little real idea of who he actually was. They simply knew he was a teacher from God. A very gifted teacher. A very exceptional teacher. And in a sense they were on a journey. A journey of discovery. But the more they heard, the higher Jesus rose in their estimation. This is not John. This is not Elijah. 
This is not one of the prophets. No, this one can do more than Elijah ever did. This one speaks in a way in which the prophets never, no matter how great they were, they never reached his level. His teaching is powerful, it's fresh, his teaching uh, gets underneath their skin and touches the motives and the desires of their hearts. It has an authority that that generation has never seen or experienced. His teaching is life-giving. It's life-transforming. It frees people from the power of sin. And it gives people a righteousness with God. So the more they hear and heard of Jesus, the higher he rose in their estimation. And the more they saw of Jesus, the higher he rose in their estimation. They saw nature obey him. The wind and the waves. They saw the water turning into wine. They saw a fishing net torn apart as it was filled with fish at Jesus' command when they experienced fishermen had fished all night and caught nothing. And again and again they were brought to this point. Who is this? They were brought to the point of saying, Go away from us because we are sinful men. Their testimony is that you cannot get higher than Jesus. You cannot go above Jesus because they came to realize, verse 14, that the Father has sent not an angel. The Father has sent not a prophet like Moses or Elijah. Wonderful though that would be. No, the Father has sent His Son. His Son. We might put it like this. He sent Himself. Because the Son is part of the Godhead. Yes, we can't understand it. But there's one God who's three persons. And there are three persons who are the one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the, Fa the Son is the only begotten of the Father. Sent by the Father. Jesus was God. Living in human flesh and bone. And John says to these false teachers. And these prophets that are troubling the church. That have gone out into the world. You cannot go higher than that. You cannot have a greater experience of God than in Jesus Christ, 
Because Jesus is God in human flesh and bone. And he's come to do something in you and me. Come to do something in our world that these false prophets can't do. That an angel couldn't do. That even a Moses and Elijah, great men that they were, couldn't do it. Because he has come as the saviour of the world. He's able to save. That's their testimony. This Jesus that they have lived with, that they have seen and touched and handled, as John puts it, in another place. He is the saviour of the world. The saviour of all kinds of men and women and boys and girls. If you'd have said, John, give us examples. He would have started and he said, he saved me. A fisherman. Didn't deserve it. Sinner by nature. Sinner by deed. Saved by Jesus. And then there was the tax collector, Levi. And Jesus saved him. That man that cooperated with Rome. That man who charged more than he needed to. And he brought him, like me, right into the heart of his little group of twelve. And then there was one of our number who was a terrorist. And the Lord saved him. And forgave him his sins. And brought him into our midst. And here we were a group of men. And eleven of us. Eleven of the twelve were saved by Christ. And we were very diverse in our backgrounds. But it wasn't just that he saved us. Jews. He went to the Samaritans. He went to the woman of Samaria, the well. And that woman who had had six men and was still not satisfied even after having six men, knowing and realising that a man can't give you what you're looking for in life. This woman met Jesus and found in Jesus the Saviour of the world. And Jesus went to the Gentiles. Yes, not in vast number, but he was showing that this salvation that was in him, it was going to spread out to the Gentiles. So he reached out to a Gentile woman here and a Gentile man there. And they too found that in Jesus is the, the Saviour of the world. And so here's the testimony of these men. They're first of all reliable because they were there. And then their testimony is rubbish. All these claims that are made outside of Christ and without Christ and apart from Christ and claim something more than Christ. Forget them all, he says, because 
You cannot go higher than the Son of God sent to save people from all backgrounds not just Jews but to save people from throughout the world. You see today that's how we too must witness to the gospel. We must look at those who make these claims today. Whether it is these professors uh, in their academic towers wanting to make a name for themselves, wanting to get on in their university, wanting to come up with original research, or whether it is the religious person who says, you need more than Christ. Or the false religion of the world, Islam or whatever, which says, Christ is not the answer. We've got to look at those people in the face. And we've got to stare them straight in the eye. And say to them. In Jesus we have God. In human flesh and bone. To save from sin. That's what I need. And that's what he does. And. You cannot get higher. You cannot get better. You cannot get more than that. Will we be witnesses to the true gospel? The true gospel is built on the reliability of the apostles. We have seen. And it's built on the testimony of the apostles. The Father has sent his son a saviour of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this letter of John, your servant, one of the twelve whom Jesus chose, and one who was able to take on the false prophets of his day, and those who would trouble the church, and who would say, you need something more than the scriptures. You need something more than Jesus. He's not the ultimate experience of grace. Oh God, we thank you that John was able to say, yes, he is. And he only is. Because we have seen, we have heard, and we have touched, and we have tasted and we testify that he is indeed God in human flesh, the Saviour of the world. O oh Lord God, help us in our day and generation when people clutch at anything and everything in order to satisfy their curiosity 
or their own personal advancement or in order to claim and seek spiritual experience help us to say with the apostles we stand with those as witnesses of the true gospel we stand by their reliability and we stand by their testimony O Lord God, give us boldness and humility together to do that. Boldness to be unashamed. Humility to be as harmless as a dove and as wise as serpents in this day and generation. Lord, deliver your church in our 21st century from the false prophets and those who would lead away from Christ and who would say there's something beyond and above Christ for there isn't. O Lord, help us to stand for you and to honour you, to make you known and bless our witness to the salvation of the world, the lost in our community and where we work and where we live. In Jesus' name, Amen.